Hi, you guys. This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work podcast, episode 23. We got a question, bunch of questions to answer today, but the first one is from Jane, who interviewed for a job back in March and did not get the job in March, but she got an email that said, thanks anyway, you know, a no thanks email. And then she just heard from the same company asking her to come back and interview again for the same job. And so she wrote and said, you know, is this weird or what should I ask them? I want to ask them what happened back in March. They maybe hired someone who didn't work out or maybe they never hired anybody. It seems like it matters to me. The answer to that question, is it an appropriate question to ask them? So I told her, yeah, it is. It's such a critical question to ask them because not only are you undoubtedly curious what happened back in March, you didn't hire me, did you hire anybody? And if you did, what happened to that person in the meantime? But also you're asking about, you know, the, the, what has elapsed, what has taken place since March is important because you're testing their ability to just have you ask questions and then give you a reasonable answer. In other words, you, you have already spent the time that you spent back in March interviewing for a job that you had reasonable, you know, good reason to think you were going to get, and you didn't get the job. Maybe it went on hold. Maybe they used a temporary agency. Maybe they hired someone, but it's completely appropriate for you to find out what happened as you decide whether you want to talk to them again. The other thing I said was that there's no reason for them to interview you again if it's the same job. Why would they think they're entitled to more of your time? What, they forgot who you are? They didn't take good notes? They're calling you obviously because they have a vacancy again and you were one of the top candidates or perhaps the top candidate overall outside of the person they may be hired, but you don't owe them another interview time. And it's perfectly appropriate for you to say, Jane, you know, can we, can I chat with the manager? If it's the same manager, we had a good talk in March, maybe a phone call, you know, in other words, the, the, what's wrong here, what's broken is the usual thing that breaks. And that is this idea that like, they get to just pick up the phone and call you. You're not getting paid for a job interview. They messed with you once already. They have to earn the right to get any more of your time and attention. Now, I realize this is all information that is, it, it relies to a tremendous degree on context. If you need a job right now and you just feel like taking the job, then take the job. But you wrote to me asking whether your very sensible question, well, what happened back in March, you know, would be appropriate to ask, and I'm, so I'm telling you, it's absolutely 100% appropriate to ask that question. Let's look at the possibilities. The job went on hold, or they just forgot about it. They got busy with other things. They never hired anybody. That's a huge red flag, right? As these red flags go, because it means it was important enough to use your time up and other candidates undoubtedly, but they just never ended up hiring anybody. I think it's criminal the way some companies will interview people for months. Like it's free to them. You know what I mean? It's free to them. It uses up your time and energy and goodwill and enthusiasm and your ideas that you share on the interview and all of that. Here's how I feel as an ex HR chief. If you, a hiring manager, 
not talking to you, Jane, anymore. I'm talking to the hiring manager who wrote the job spec, okay? If you ask for and receive approval to hire someone, it's because there's an immediate need in the business. It means that the absence of a person in that role is actually costing them money. So if it's costing them money, you better get on it and it better be one of your top priorities. And I say this to staffing managers who complain rightly so about uh, department managers not getting back to them with feedback about candidates after interviews. That's a common problem, right? They don't get back to them. Well, what am I supposed to do? Give you more candidates? You haven't gotten back to me with any kind of feedback about the last three people that I gave you. That's irresponsible and it's rude. So if that job just kind of drifted off of somebody's front burner five months ago and they never filled it, that's a really big red flag. Again, context is everything. You need a job. You might talk to them, but because you asked, am I within my rights asking what happened? Heck yeah, you are. You better ask what happened. Second scenario, so the first one was they never filled the job, and that's a big red flag. The second scenario, scenario is they did hire somebody, and that person left. Okay, people can leave, and it happens, but, you know, I would love any insight into, you know, what how that makes you think about the job differently or maybe the role has changed you know what I mean I mean it's a responsible it's a reasonable question to ask have you changed the job this job maybe didn't please somebody or they won't tell you but what if they let that person go what if it didn't work out as they say it didn't work out with that person same thing I don't know if it was that person you guys seem to have a pretty thorough interview process maybe it's the job before that person got here and washed out and left or didn't succeed in the job, was it a newly created job? Because, you know, I think maybe it's a good conversation to have about what is the job? Is it reasonable? Is it doable? Is there enough support? Is there enough training, et cetera? So yeah, you know, you can always ask those questions and sometimes you have to, oh, I tell you a story about my friend. Give her a name. What's her name? Samantha. All right. My friend, Samantha few years ago called me and she said you're gonna love this you are gonna love this I said okay I can't wait to hear and she said because I interviewed for a job not five months ago but two years ago and they 100% ghosted me a lot of people have had that experience they get ghosted after an interview in this case it was multiple interviews that Samantha had first HR then the hiring manager then she actually got to the Final interview with the hiring manager's boss, the big VP. She thought, I, you know, I might get this job, I might not, but I'm not embarrassing myself, obviously. I'm going all the way through the process and, you know, I have a decent shot at getting this job. No, they just completely, 100% ghosted Samantha. She just never heard from them again until the day she called me a couple of years ago. And she said, yeah, the, the head of HR had the nerve to just call me today. Hi, Samantha. Hope you're great. You know, it just so happens that um, that job is open again. And we wondered, same thing, right? Same thing as Jane. We wonder if you'd come down and interview again. Well, now, unlike Jane's situation, where she only interviewed for the job five months ago, you know, uh, this, this one with Samantha happened two years ago. It was a long time ago. So yeah, if she were going to take the job, she would certainly want to meet them again. But she said, I couldn't resist. I, I like where I am right now. I'm not in a mad rush to change jobs. I would potentially change jobs. 
this company has a pretty good reputation, but they also have that, that reputation that companies can get of like, they think they are superior beings. And so, you know, I, I, I wanted to just ask this lady the question that anybody would ask if they felt empowered to do it. And I did, I felt empowered to do it. Like you're calling me, you're using up my time after you ghosted me two years ago. She, she said, oh yeah, I remember you. We talked, yeah, I interviewed for that job. I actually interviewed three times. I interviewed with you. Then I interviewed with the hiring manager, you know, Dennis or whatever. Then I interviewed with Dennis's boss, well, whoever, Taylor. And then I got ghosted. You guys 100% ghosted me. You just went cold. I wrote, I called, I left messages. So it's, 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 it's really interesting and odd. Such a good company like you guys just hardcore ghost a candidate after three interviews. So, so I'm so curious. Do you remember what happened? Or maybe you want to go look it up and call me back. Cause that's obviously something we would need to figure out. And the HR person was not into the question. Of course she was not into it. Well, I have no idea. That's two years ago. And she said, ah, Samantha said, that's the first thing we got to get past. Cause as you can understand, I'd be very hesitant to come down and interview again with a company that ghosted me in such a cold fashion. Two years ago, what's the old expression? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So yeah, I, I, I need to know what broke down in your system two years ago, such that, you know, I never heard a word from you until now, until today. Well, the HR lady got off the phone and that was it. That was the end of the line. But if Samantha felt good about it because she felt like at least she grew her muscles and she grew her flame a little bit that day. She said, you know, I don't always feel like on top of the world and ready to have a conversation like that. But this one fell into my lap. The lady called me like we were buddies, like we were friends. She said, I even sent her a LinkedIn invitation after the interview process. Nothing, nothing. It's still in her LinkedIn inbox. So no, yeah, we have passed the point, you guys, where you as a job seeker just have to take abuse and figure, oh, well, you know, sometimes we can say something. How crazy would it have been for her to go back and interview again and risk being ghosted again just because they asked? Your time and your energy and your attention are not free, you guys. So yeah, if you have a question for me to answer here on the Truth About Work podcast or on Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever, wherever I am answering questions that day, send it to us, please, at support at humanworkplace.com. Because uh, I'm always answering questions. Love to answer workplace and career, entrepreneurial leadership, HR questions, stuff like that. So we've been talking so much lately on Twitter about people going back to work after COVID-19. After is the operative word there because there are people going back to work in white collar, so-called white collar or so-called knowledge worker jobs right now and have been all summer and more are going back to work after Labor Day. And I know this because they're writing and telling me about it. Others don't have a date, but they're hearing September, October. Meanwhile, cases of COVID-19 are on the rise in most U.S. states. Is it safe to go back to work right now? Probably not. OSHA, which is the federal agency that oversees workplace safety, that's their charter. 
That's their mission. They're supposed to oversee workplace safety. And normally they do. When it comes to fire safety and dangerous chemicals and all that kind of stuff, I used to walk around my plant once a year with an OSHA inspector and they they were good at it. They looked at every little thing. How high is that outlet off the floor and this and that and how are these things marked and how's the training? They want to see the training logs, safety training. I am all about it, right? Of course, you guys know the best techniques and methodology for keeping people safe at work. Please teach me, right? But when it comes to COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, crickets, nothing from OSHA except some very mild suggestions. Now, what the hell is that good for? Companies need clear guidelines and they need to be enforceable. It needs to be something where an employee who goes back to work is compelled to go back to work in an office, for example. They go back, it's clearly not safe, that there's a hotline they can call. There's nothing like that. There's no rules incumbent on employers to follow to keep people safe at work. Now, doesn't that sound like a recipe for disaster? Especially with new information coming out every single day that says COVID-19 is airborne. It's an aerosol. It spreads through the air under certain circumstances, particularly in enclosed spaces like offices with poor airflow, which is most offices. So people are writing now on Twitter. You follow us at Human Workplace on Twitter. You're going to see these tweets saying, yeah, my boss is the main person who doesn't wear a mask at work. So how, who else is going to wear a mask in the office when she doesn't, right? Terrible stories. People being told you don't officially have to come back to work quite yet, but it's going to look really good for you and be good for you professionally if you do. And other cases of people being told outright, I don't care who you live with or what your health conditions are. You got to come back to work. This is wrong, you guys. It's a travesty. This is the biggest health threat we've had affecting everyone in a hundred years. And the idea that employers just get a pass to compel people to come back to the workplace before it's safe to do so with no particular safety precautions in place held held to the fire for nothing, nothing whatsoever. If they do nothing to keep you safe, they are in compliance with U.S. safety laws. Now, how is that fair or right? It's not, obviously. I realize we have a lot of fish to fry, but work is one of the most fundamental pillars of any community, any society, and it has to be safe. It has to be safe, especially when you have governors, these hick-ass governors, saying that if you don't go back to work in certain states, then you will not be eligible for unemployment compensation. So it's like, yeah, die or get sick or potentially get infected and infect your household or lose your income. So what, you know, what can we say about our society at that point? Well, it's broken. I think we can say it's broken. It's not working for most people. It is not working. Our system of work and governance is not working for working people. It's really, really uh, dire. I just ran across something today, which was a blog post from some employment lawyer, what they call defendant side, the guys who only defend employers in employment law matters, uh, referencing a column of mine from like 10 years ago, 
that I wrote for Business Week, Employees Bill of Rights, 10 rights I felt employees should have that they don't have in the United States because our labor laws are trash in the United States and don't protect employees compared to every other industrialized nation. And this lawyer wrote a blog post about it saying, here's the rights employers should have. And of course, one of them was to hire white men under 40 and not have anybody say anything about it. So this is, you know, this is somebody who defends employers when they get in trouble. And by the way, you know, these kind of guys, I have been to seminars and lunchtime, lunch and learns and all that with, with these guys who try to paint a picture for CEOs that your employees are bad guys and they're just waiting to jump out behind a bush at any moment and sue you and take your business away from you. That's how they, that's how they use fear to sell their services. Like only I, the, the employment lawyer, stand between you and the, and the hordes of people who would you know, be suing you right and left in your business. So it's a fear-based approach. And the idea that employers have no rights and me agitating for or advocating for employees to have rights like they have in literally every industrialized nation on earth except the US is, is really the real threat. And you know, I, the employment lawyer, I'm here to protect you from this horrible fate where employees would have Jack Shizzle to say about their working conditions. So it's not that good. It's just not that good. As an HR person, I felt like we were turning some kind of a corner and getting to you know a way better place than when people got killed for being union members or trying to start a union or you know all the horrible shirtwaist factory fire, all these horrible horrible workplace tragedies and awful stories but now i can't say that we're not we're not in a good place right now and that's one reason why as although i sit here uh telling you about gloom and doom scenarios you know we're all in a position to get stronger to know more to understand more about how these systems work and then to empower ourselves inside of them even if they suck we can be more powerful every single day I got a letter from somebody that said, I work for my company six months. I saw people flying out the door. I heard people saying, always have your resume ready to go. A lot of people don't, uh, don't work here very long. It's a short-term kind of a place. It's not horrible while you're here, but there's zero job security. And then after I was in the company for four months, an entire department got laid off, just one day laid off. And I asked my boss why, and she said, we're owned by a private equity firm. And she, the person who wrote to me, had never heard that term before, private equity. So it's like, of course, right. So why would you learn in high school or even in college what private equity is? And why, when you work for a company that is owned by a private equity firm, you don't have any job security? We don't teach that. Private equity is private money, rich people's money, buying companies basically to ransack them and get the assets out of them right? Like Toys R Us and many, many other brands that were bought by private equity, rich people who do not care about the long-term health of the company or its customers and their needs or the employees and their needs. It's kind of like Tony Soprano and his friends in the mob buying, I'm using air quotes now, buying or buying into a bar or a restaurant so they can, you know, not pay the vendors and suck all the profits out and then set the place on fire. It's the same thing with private equity. That's how that industry works. And it's not regulated well. So, so this happens place after place after place. They buy a company. They're not trying to grow it or maintain the brand and the, and the culture and the organization for the next hundred years. They want to get their money and get out. And we have to teach people how these things work because they don't know. 
I wrote a story uh, uh, years ago about how we all have to be more knowledgeable now if we don't like the topic of the business world and we don't want to read the Wall Street Journal, which is me, right? I don't want to read the Wall Street Journal. If I have a choice, ick. But you have to. If, you, if you're going to, to empower yourself in the working world, in the business world, you have to know how these systems fit together, how the pieces fit together. And you're not going to learn that in school. They had career day and people come in and they're, you know, police officer or uh, whatever they they have a florist shop and it's like oh there's different jobs out in the world and then that's kind of it we don't learn how how the working world works how money is made right what billionaires are and 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 we don't debate the question of whether billionaires should even be a thing right and and a few people should have all, all the money like hoarders who who would be treated who, whose families would get them into some kind of mental health care if they were hoarding anything else like cats or magazines but if it's money it's fine praiseworthy in fact and they go on the front cover of forbes so yeah we need to teach kids about this stuff so they can they can be more knowledgeable and be more empowered so yeah so i wrote this story about how we all have to understand the business world and understand a lot more about the mechanics than we do even people who have mbas don't necessarily know this stuff and nothing that i'm talking about is esoteric at all it's just how how the world works but it's we don't teach kids or young adults or any age adults and and so they don't know and as a result of not knowing they'll go to work for a company that's owned by a private equity firm for example and only find out after they get there that their job is at risk every single minute so we so we need to know more and i wrote the story and the editor i've had some really amazing editors and some really bad ones and this editor said to me don't you think that's kind of unrealistic to expect people to educate themselves about you know how the stock market works and you know what all these different forms of businesses are i said no no it's it's self-preservation it's it's you know it's uh evolutionarily appropriate to know your ecosystem that you're operating in and i'm only saying that people can do this i'm not forcing them to and also you have business in the name of your magazine you don't want people to learn about business it's a weird energy you guys like you're just an employee just take the job and do the job it's really strange when people are thinking about a career as an academic they know they have to go get a master's degree and a PhD, but we don't teach them what an academic career looks like. And we don't teach them about politics and funding and all of the nitty gritty that makes an academic career really great or really awful. We just teach them get really good at your subject matter, whether it's math or humanities or whatever it is. No, that's, that's just one piece of it. We need to teach kids about careers and how they work. And I'm trying to backfill and do that with adults because people don't have the information they need to make informed decisions, like whether or not to take a job with a company that has people ransacking it on a daily basis, you know? So you don't have to, it's not a big leap to say, wow, maybe there are literally people who do not want you to have this information and make informed decisions. Like, you know, to make the decision whether you should keep working for other people or maybe start working for yourself. It's weird, isn't it? business papers the you know the, the the business news is all about employment like employment is is considered to be the the base state you know the norm the default you're employed you have a job what about self-employment why don't we report on how many new businesses start every day and how much 
how much entrepreneurial business is generating in revenue and taxes instead of always focusing on oh google is hiring and apple is laying off like big companies are the only ones that matter eh, food for thought all right so we talked about covid and the no safety standards and the fact that you know everybody not fear-mongering here but for real gotta just look at your linkedin profile look at the jobs on indeed and linkedin and just in case just in case just in case and particularly if you're worried about your employer forcing you to come back to work when it might not be safe now we're at you know really fundamental health and safety land bottom of maslow's hierarchy you know make sure you have an escape hatch if you need one or you have some 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 things that you could look into a lot of people don't want to change jobs of course during a pandemic but if you had to because you were forced to work in an unsafe, physically unsafe environment, how, how much sleep would you get, really, right? Your job security at that point might take a back seat to your physical safety and that of the people you love. All right, so let's get to some practical stuff because we've we've done the, the high in the sky stuff. And I'd like to end with a practical tip, and this one is how to answer the question, the interview question, what is your greatest strength? Now, there are a lot of people who won't ask the question, what's your greatest weakness? Loathsome, insulting interview question, as you've probably heard me say about a million times, but they will ask the question, what do you consider your greatest strengths? This question is just as inappropriate as the weakness question because a job interview is a freaking conversation about a job that needs to be done. Services to be delivered, just like having a painter come over and look at your house and tell you how they would paint it and how much it's gonna cost. It's more like that than it is like a therapy session, but there are managers who are steeped in this idea that they are not just your manager, but your coach in life as well, and your social superior, let's be honest, and in a position to tell you how to live your life. The question, what are your strengths, is like, it's, it's meaningless and it's intrusive. It's arch and I hate it, but you still gotta answer the question if you get it. Uh, I would go to specific, tasky, job-oriented things. I would answer that way. I would not get into, well, I'm somebody who always follows through or, you know, I, I really value helping my teammates and all that. I don't know. You have to answer the question in the way that you want to, but I find those kind of like icky, sticky questions set the wrong tone with the person who may be, end up being your new boss like two to four weeks from now. If you're if you're interviewing with them for the first time right i don't want you to invite them to be your coach so that's why i would go to i'm really strong with excel and it sounds like you use that a lot in this department you know what are your greatest strengths well you know i feel like you've got a need to do a lot of uh, generation of leads right now it sounds like if i heard you correctly and lead generation is one of my favorite things let me tell you a story about what i did at angry chocolates where I did lead generation for two years and, and really changed the way they work and the way they, the way they sell their products. My personal suggestion, people are gonna wanna be your coach and you may or may not be into that particular relationship. Anyway, I hate that question. Now, you may have the reasonable reaction if somebody is that way, if they are intrusive and too uh, forced coachy, forced mentoring, uh, all this stuff that I'm not really into, if I just want to go and do my job, do I even want to work for them? It's a wonderful question. Do you even want to work for them? 
but my standards have have plummeted you guys because so this stuff is so common the the presumption that the manager in, is in a position moral and ethical and professional position to plumb the depths of your soul when you come to a job interview that yes you're right you might not want to work for them but they don't even know how wrong it is they're not necessarily evil people i don't think any of these guys are evil people some of some of them turn out to be evil bosses but for the most part they're stuck in a really toxic dysfunctional system and they've gone to a hundred workshops where they were told that asking candidates what's your greatest strength is absolutely wonderful and maybe they even feel that they are enlightened enough not to ask what's your greatest weakness and what's your five-year plan and all the rest of that dreck you know so I'm hoping here to try to help you wend your way through through the landmines because it's very hard to run into a manager who on an interview does not ask at least one obnoxious interview question, right? That's just the reality. It's just the training. We've all gotten really, really bad training, starting with this idea that as a manager, you sort of sit on a higher social plane than the people you, you manage. I run into this, I hear from folks with this viewpoint all the dang time every day saying, well, I mean, part of my job as a manager is to lead and guide people in their lives. Really? Mm. Yikes. No, not into that. Thank you very much. Hey, this is one reason some people end up going to work, you know, for themselves. Okay, last topic before we say goodbye today. Episode 23 also had a question from someone who wants to gather their team together. They're all working from home because of COVID-19 and they're planning to gather their team together for an outdoor team building event in a park near the office, social distancing and wearing masks, but they want to make the event mandatory. So I did a poll on Twitter and of course the results were pretty overwhelming. Like 95% of people said it's a horrible idea to make it mandatory. Team building cannot be mandatory, especially during COVID-19. But I, but I mentioned these stories just to let you know that every single person out there um, is not on the same page. I'm sure this manager had good intentions. I don't know why they wanted to make their team building thing mandatory, maybe just because everybody's got to be in on it. But there's no such thing as mandatory team building. Not when you're coming from trust. Not when trust is your guiding force. And that's really the only way you want to lead people. Hey, I want you to follow us if you're not already on Twitter. It's Human Workplace. On LinkedIn, just me, my name, Liz Ryan. And uh, on uh, Facebook, it's also Human Workplace. And of course, stop by our site, humanworkplace.com. We've got free downloads and all kinds of cool stuff there. Did I miss anything? Maybe Instagram. Yeah, I'm not up with all that stuff. But have a great, great day, great week, and uh, keep growing your flame.